A number of weeks ago, we began a series looking at a selection of psalms. And in most scriptures, they're titled either Songs of Ascent or Songs of Degree. We began in Psalms 120, and we're going to conclude today with Psalms 134. We described how it's likely that although these psalms were not written consecutively or by the same person, that they were used while taking a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And I think what I want to do first today before we conclude is to briefly remind us where we've come from. So beginning in Psalms 120, I'm going to just briefly touch on each one to bring us forward to where we'll focus today. We recall that in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. And we talked about how we experience times of trouble, times of difficulty, times of concern throughout our lives, but it is always the Lord who answers. No matter, as we saw in the Psalms 120, when people surround us with trouble and they are after us, maybe even taking us to the point of war, we are reminded that we are for peace and we are merely sojourners traveling in this world, in a hostile world, one that wants to take us down. And then we moved on to Psalms 121 and we asked the great question, where does my hope and my help come from? And we decide that it is not in ourselves, it is not in our own strength, it is not in others, but it is in the Lord that our help and our hope comes from the Lord, from one who never sleeps, who never slumbers, but is in fact our keeper, that he is able to keep us and that he does. We looked at 122 and we said that we are glad when we go to the house of the Lord. What a privilege it is for us to go there. We discussed how we are bound tightly together as a body of believers. Bound together in love and in peace. We looked at Psalms 123 and we were reminded that we should lift our eyes unto the Lord and watch carefully what he does. I gave you the example of my dog who watches intently at night waiting for me to play her favorite game and that we should be likewise intently watching our Lord so that we know when he's moving among us. And I asked the question, do we look to the Lord that way? Do we know when he's moving? Do we know what the cues are to his moving? And do we respond instantly when he does move? We moved on to Psalms 124, and we found that had the Lord not been on our side, fill in the blank, right? That no matter what we go through in life, the difficulties, even the triumphs, had the Lord not been on our side, then it would not be worth it. That even when the world is rising up against us, that if he's not on our side, then there is no point. 
And then we went on and saw a beautiful example of how our souls have escaped the fowler's snare. We described how our souls are like birds. We're weak, full of folly, and easily enticed into a snare. We talked about how there's many methods of snaring us in, either by a decoy, we can be enticed because we're hungry or because we're frightened. And either way, no matter how the enemy seeks to capture us, there is one and only one way for us to escape this natural slavery that we're in. There's only one way to escape the guilt, the vain deceits, the things that seek to destroy us, false doctrines, our plot, pride, our lust, our temptations, our despair. Whatever it is, we must rely on the Lord to break the nets. And when we do, when the snare, when the net is broken, we may fulfill our purpose and fly. We were reminded again, where does our help come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. We discussed in Psalms 125 that those who trust in him are like immovable mountains, not because of my own trust, but because of him. We were reminded that the wicked, again, will not rest all around us, but we should just trust in him. We saw in Psalms 126, the joy that we have in the Lord is like a dream, and that we should respond with shouts of joy because we are glad for how he cares for us. And we were reminded that even in the midst of trials that we were, should uh, weep, and so, but we will harvest with joy. In Psalms 127, we see that unless the Lords build the house, those who build it labor in vain. And I asked us the question, are you allowing the Lord to build your house, or are you trying to build it through your own strength and your own might? We were reminded what a blessing that children are and received a caution to not build vainly because that is possible. We can try too hard to build our own house and it comes to nothing. We saw in Psalms 128 that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. We were reminded that if our heart is joined with him, then our feet will follow after him. And we were admonished to, while we enjoy the blessing, we must actively walk with him. And I asked you a question. Would you rather have a spiritual blessing or a worldly blessing? Would you rather be closer to the Lord spiritually or receive a physical worldly blessing, maybe a money or a job or fill in the blank? And we must ask ourselves this question, I think, very closely. We were again reminded in Psalms 129 that in our hour of trial that we should remember the former trials and draw from them the assurance that he who's been with us in the past is still here today. We were careful to be reminded that we should not consider too long the things that have gone on in the past, that we lose sight of where we are headed in the future, but we can use the things of the past to remind us how we should carry forward. 
that the Lord is righteous, that regardless of how difficult the times are, that he will take us forward. And we were also encouraged not to bless things that are evil. I said that we have a problem in many of our churches and organizations today. We allow, approve, support, and sometimes even bless behavior that is clearly outlined as a sin in the scripture. And we cannot be passive about that. We saw in Psalms 130 that out of the depths I cry unto you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And we're reminded that it's better, believe it or not, that our prayers be heard than they be answered. It's better for our prayers to be heard than answered. That we should be humble, that we should confess, that we should seek repentance and faith. That we should be watchful while we're waiting. And although we don't like the word waiting, we were reminded that it means to bind us together, to become closer to the Lord, to use the time that we are waiting for an answer to remain closer to Him. And to remember that any time spent waiting on the Lord is never wasted if done properly. We covered Psalms 131. The short passage I described is very difficult for me. To not have a heart that is haughty or prideful. And I gave a definition. I said, haughty, that is to say, neither proud of an opinion or of himself, contemptuous of others, or self-righteous before the Lord, neither boastful of the past, proud of the present, or ambitious for the future. What we should do is learn, as it says here, to calm and quiet our soul and cry unto him. We move on to Psalms 132, and we considered his dwelling place. We considered and were reminded that the Lord never intended to physically stay in one location, but rather to travel with his people. And that is true today. We heard the story of David wanting to build a temple, but had misplaced the ark. And I asked this question, how could it be that David was more concerned about the place to house God than the actual presence of God. And then I asked the more difficult question, have we done the same? Have we been more concerned about a physical structure or a program or some activity than we have been in knowing the Lord? And I reminded us that we ought not be too busy building something he didn't ask for while we're missing his presence. And that brings us to today. The last two psalms in this series, and they're short. So let me read Psalms 133. I've preached on this before. I don't think I'll take long today either. Psalms 133 says this, A song of ascent of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing, 
life forevermore. We described how this was an ascent, moving from topic to topic, closer to the Lord. But with every ascent must come an end, at least on this side of the world, this side of heaven. And so I think these last two chapters are the preparation to leave. We described the pilgrimage where people would come to worship together in Jerusalem and likely the songs they were singing as they went up to the mountain to worship together. And I think these two are the closing of this time together. And they are reminded of the wonderful unity that they had while they dwelled together. Depending on your translation, mine I read, it says, Come, bless the Lord. Many others read, Behold. I think behold probably captures better the idea, the idea that we are to stop and to look at, to observe intently with great care, to fix our mind on what is being said here. Just as John cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, so we are to say, Behold, look how good and pleasant it is. This is something that we should stop and consider. Behold. Now, you'll notice it says how good and how pleasant. It's kind of a question, isn't it? So let me ask you, how good and how pleasant is it when we dwell in unity? It doesn't give you an answer. And I think the answer is, there isn't an answer. He's not saying it's better than this or it's as good as this. The author is simply saying, how good is it? It's really good. And we have experienced this as a church together, have we not? We have experienced this maybe with our family at different times. How good is it when we are together, dwelling together, in unity, doing the things the Lord wants us to do? It's really, really good. It's so good, we don't really know quite how good it is. How good is it? You'll also notice it says good and pleasant. And these two things are also very important for us to consider. Because sometimes the things can be good and not pleasant. And sometimes things can be pleasant and not good. That sounds kind of strange. Think about maybe taking some type of medicine. It's not pleasant, but it's good for you. What about eating your favorite dessert? Oh, it can be pleasant, but it's not good for you. And so when we have something that is both good and pleasant, it is most excellent, you see. And so this idea that when we dwell, when we come together in unity, unity of purpose, unity of spirit, unity of of thought and mind, when we come together, it is not only pleasant, it is not only good, it is good and pleasant when we are together. Therefore, we should seek to do this, both within our families, our physical, earthly families that God has given us, but also among our spiritual family, those who are gathered here today. I had a sermon a number of weeks 
I guess months ago now, talked about unity versus uniformity. You see, we're not all called to be exactly alike. It was never the intention. There is a distinct difference between being uniform and having unity. Unity is the idea that we share something together. We have a common goal, a common purpose. And when we talk about unity in this sake, it is Christ and who he is. And we are unified in our desire to serve him, but we do that not uniformly. In other words, the Bible tells us some preach, some are evangelists, some have differing gifts of the Spirit. We all have different ways that we serve the Lord and that we serve each other, but what should be is unity in purpose. This is very important, and I am going to say to Taylor's Chapel, well done, in all sincerity. You all do very, very well with this. Doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement, because how good? It can always be better. See, we didn't have the answer at the beginning, did we? So while you're doing well, we should continue and strive to do better. We must seek unity and oneness in life and truth in the way, in the objective of what we have to do. And you know something else that's abundantly obvious? People know it when they come. And that's a beautiful thing. Something is different here among us, the desire for our unity. Never perfect, but the desire and the unity that we have is obvious to those who come. So behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then verse 2. See, verse 1 is the, the subject, and verse 2 and 3 are examples of it. It says, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. This seems a little strange to us because we're not used to anointing people. I think this is a reference because it's talking about Aaron to the anointing oil that was specially made to anoint Aaron and his sons. This oil was different base was olive oil, if you will, and it had mixed in with it sweet-smelling myrrh and cinnamon and other spices, and it was used to anoint the high priest, and it was actually forbidden to be made or used for any other purpose. And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 30. Let me read two verses out of there. It says, It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in comparison. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. And holy means separated or set apart. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off of his people. So we are talking about a precious, very specific type of oil. They had directions for how to make it, measurements, what proportions that would be anointed the high priest in some of the tabernacle. Oil is also frequently a symbol of the Spirit. 
And so we have this idea that the Spirit indwells us and covers us from our head, dripping all the way down to the very bottom. That is something that comes over us, that is holy, that we have no control over, that is set apart. When you know the Lord, you are endued and covered by the Spirit of God. And He comes and He dwells inside of you. Now the instructions actually do say, let me go back here, it says, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, sweet-smelling cinnamon, aromatic cane, and a variety of other items. This would smell really good. You would know if someone opened this and poured it out, if you were anywhere nearby. Brings me back to what I said a minute ago. Do you know the Spirit when you walk in and the Spirit's present? Do you know when you come around a group of people who are striving to live together in unity and the Spirit is there and they are loving each other, they are serving each other, they are moving forward together with God as their focus? Can you just tell sometimes? It's the same way. Imagine the powerful smells that would come out of this oil the moment that it's opened. It would likely fill the entire room and the entire area. It was also holy, as I pointed out, sacred, set aside, made only in specific times by specific people and used for very specific purposes. Set apart for a specific reason. And lastly... It is something that was diffused. In other words, it started on the head and ran down the beard, onto the collar, and all the way down the robes. In other words, it didn't remain in one place. The Spirit's like that, isn't it? It moves wherever it wants to. It does whatever it wants to. But it covers us it anoints us. It runs over us from our head all the way down to our feet, no matter who we are. And so we see that unity is like the same thing. It's the oil that begins at the head and runs down over the beard, down under the clothes, and all the way down to the bottom of who we are. That is how unity is. It covers us. It anoints us. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Now, the second example says it's like the dew of Hermon, or Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing forever. Now, Mount Hermon is actually the highest mountain in Israel, usually snow-covered at the top, over 9,000 feet. It is known for its abundant rain and springs and marshes. It's known for its dew and is the headwater for the River Jordan. It's often referred to in the scriptures as a holy place, and many scholars actually believe that it's where the transfiguration occurred. Unity among believers is like a thick dew that comes from the mountain, the holy mountain, that saturates everything and nourishes all that it touches. I want to read something about that mountain to help give you an idea. This was written in 1867 
by a minister who was also kind of an explorer, went all over the world, had a great interest in nature, and it appears as though he camped at the base of this mountain. And here's, here's his account of it. Listen, not only for how beautiful this is, but think about how this relates to the idea that unity is like this, the Spirit of God dwelling among us and how it covers everything. It says, The upper Jordan Valley and the marshes is for the most part an impenetrable swamp of unknown depth, whence the seething vapors under the ray of an almost tropical sun is constantly ascending into the upper atmosphere during the day. The vapor coming in contact with the snowy side of the mountain is rapidly congealed and is precipitated in the evening in the form of dew. Now catch this. The most copious I've ever experienced. It penetrated everywhere and saturated everything. The floor of our tent was soaked, our bed was covered with it, our guns were dripping, and dewdrops hung about everywhere. No wonder that the foot of Hermon is clad with orchards and gardens of such marvelous fertility in the land of many droughts. Now that's beautiful writing to start with. But it's a beautiful image of exactly what is being said here. So we understand from a first-hand account of someone who's been to the base of this mountain what it is like when you're there. That the dew is so thick and so heavy that it saturates and covers everything. The floor of the tent, the bed that's inside, the things that are there, it is everywhere. And so, brothers and sisters, with that in mind, we understand how good is it and how pleasant is it when we dwell together in unity? It's really good, and it affects everything. The closer we dwell together in unity, the more that it'll be like the dew at Mount Hermon, that everyone who comes in will know. Everything that we do will be saturated with what? The unity that we have to love the Lord our God, to focus on Him, to serve Him, and to please Him. This ought to be the call of our lives, to dwell in unity just like this, just like the dew that covers everything and saturates everything. We must always seek after this. And so now we come to the very last. Psalm 134 reads as follows, A song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And we're talking about some servants here <clears throat> at night. As I said, it's been tradition to think of this as the parting psalm. And after having spent a week or so dwelling together in unity in Jerusalem with your family and tribes from all over the area, everyone would begin to depart. It's very likely as with many great journeys, especially at that time, you were up before dawn and you began your way out. 
And so when we think about those who are standing guard in the house of the Lord, perhaps that's what we're talking about here. Perhaps those who stood over the temple guarding it. In fact, we know from the scriptures that the Levites or the priests had different duties. So there was a whole group of people who were chosen and set aside by the Lord to serve the temple, but they all had different duties. Some would teach, some would do the sacrifices, some would keep the temple clean and orderly, others would guard the temple. So there were divisions among who did what. So these are priests of the Lord working all night long guarding the temple. And so as you begin to see people moving about early in the morning in the dark, perhaps they called out to those temple guards, bless the Lord. You see, we must do more than just praise him. We must also bless him. And as we begin to leave, we should say, bless the Lord to those who are around to let them know that we know and understand that we too are followers after him, that we are seeking him. We are not running around in the dark looking for something evil to do, but we are in fact moving out into the world. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. And the second one tells us to lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. I don't know how this really went down. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but I can imagine as you gather your family before it is daylight and as you begin to leave Jerusalem that you would pass the guard and you would say, bless the Lord, and turn and leave. Now, as I've said, during this experience over these last few chapters, we have the amazing privilege of having a Lord who travels with us, that he goes with us. We don't have to say, we don't have to worry about leaving this specific church and then waiting next week to experience the Lord again, because as we described, he is with us. And then we have this benediction. And the way that I kept seeing this described is that the guards, the temple um, priests would answer back, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. And so possibly we see this, this exchange. At the conclusion of our ascent, as we leave this place, that as we walk by the temple one last time, we raise a hand and say, Bless the Lord. And the priest would answer back a short version of the blessing from Numbers, and say, May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heavens and the earth. Because the reality is it doesn't matter where you go, he made it. And it doesn't matter where he is because he is everywhere. And so he can bless us from Jerusalem, he can bless us from heaven, he can bless us from heaven, and no matter where we go, in heaven or on earth, the Lord will bless us and keep us. The Lord will bless his people, the Lord will lift them up. Now again, just in case you're not familiar, in Numbers, let me read part of uh, Numbers Chapter 6, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. 
And he gave them a blessing to say. And so again, I think that's what's going on here. I think that the priests who are serving as guards as they see the people leave will give them a condensed, shortened version of this. Say, may the Lord bless you. So I thought I'd end a little different today. I thought we'd look for some tradition. We're not going to a temple because the Lord isn't in a temple. But we are together in unity. And here in a few minutes, we will leave. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting for everyone to stand, to raise a hand, and to say, bless the Lord. And then let me take on the sacred duty that the Lord called me to do and bless you the way the Lord instructed his priests to do. So let's all stand. And we'll just be dismissed after this. Hope to see you again tonight. So I would ask for you to lift up a hand or two and repeat after me and say, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And I will say, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.